good to see you. Glad that you're here. If you want to grab your Bible, Genesis chapter 39 as you're getting there. And uh, just for the record, because I know somebody will make a comment at some point, I do not use an iPad to be cool. I use it because I can make the font really, really big, and I don't have to wear my reader glasses, okay? All right, so just so that's cool. As you're leaving tonight at all of our campuses, you're going to be able to grab one of these. This is kind of our year-end report that we brought out last weekend at our family meeting, and uh, there's so much exciting stuff that's a part of that. I mean, I look at the first, these top two lines. I see over 150 recorded decisions for Christ at Easter alone. I see... 178 individual baptized in just one year. And we have so much to be thankful for, and I think God has been incredibly faithful. So can we say thank you to him for everything that he's done? That's just great. So I want to welcome everybody here at the Bellingham campus. Special welcome to you uh, that are joining us in Southern Valley. Glad that you're here with us as well. Over the past couple of weeks, we have been doing a series, and we have had a front row seat watching as God has been bending the character of a 17-year-old teenager named Joseph. Let me just summarize the last three weeks so that you can catch up with us. If you haven't been with us, we want to make sure that we're all on the same page. This is what we've learned so far. We've learned that Joseph was a favorite son, and that he didn't ask, he didn't ask to be the favorite kid. He just happened to be the favorite kid. And the favoritism that his father granted him actually just caused huge hostility and animosity between Joseph and his brothers. We also learned that Joseph was a dreamer, that God spoke to Joseph in dreams, that God would paint vivid pictures in this beautiful gift, and he would show pictures of the future to Joseph. And, and we also learned that God had given Joseph the ability to be able to interpret dreams. He didn't ask for the gift, God just gave it to him. But there was a problem. Joseph used this gift in an immature way. Instead of taking it humbly and allowing God to do whatever it was that he wanted to do inside of his life, instead, Joseph used his dreams in a prideful way, and all it did was it just divided the family and put just an even deeper rift than had ever been there before. The rift got so bad, last week we learned in Genesis 37 that Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. They were going to kill him. But then in a, in a moment of unbelievable moral consciousness, you know, kind of boiled to the top, and they came to this conclusion. Let's not kill him. Let's just sell him. And that's where we saw last week as he was alone and being sold into slavery. Now, if you're reading along with us, in uh, Genesis chapter 38, that is a story that you, I promise you, you will have never got a flannel graph story of Genesis 38 in Sunday school, Okay. In fact, I'm going to say this to you. If you want to read it on your own time, that's great. If you believe that Scripture's boring, you should read Genesis 38. If you like Jerry Springer or the Beverly Hills Housewives, you will enjoy Genesis 38. And it's a tragic story, and I'm not touching it. Okay, so, Genesis 39 is where we pick up the story of Joseph. And the Bible says this. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Israelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Okay, can we just stop there for a second? For those of you who know the end of the story of Joseph, I'm going to ask you to blank that from your memory. I have an unsaved friend, and every single week I have been taking the stories of Joseph that we've been reading, and I've been giving it to him section at a time. He does not know how the story ends. And I re read this past chapter, we read this past week, this little chunk right here, and he got ticked. 
He goes, this is why Christians drive me crazy. You guys just blow right through stuff. He goes, do you see what it says right there? It says, and the Lord was with Joseph. Now remember, he doesn't know the end of the story. I want to just throw a couple of notes in here. No, no, number one is this. This is the first time that God has actually showed up in this story. Or so it seems. It's the first time his name actually gets mentioned. And, and I also want to just tack an observation on there that came from my friend this past week. And it goes something like this. From a logical perspective, that little phrase, and the Lord was with Joseph, seems nuts. I mean, does that seem crazy to anybody else? I mean, I read that and I'm just like, whoa, 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 whoa. That doesn't make any sense. If the Lord was with Joseph, he would be at home. If the Lord was with Joseph, none of this bad stuff would be happening. If the Lord was with Joseph, good stuff would be happening to the good people and bad stuff would be happening to the bad people. Joseph would be enjoying his life and his brothers would be suffering. But that's not what it said. It said Joseph's a slave with no family in sight. He's in a foreign land, living in a land that doesn't even belong to him. And the Bible has the audacity to say, but God was with him. As Christians, can just for once, can we not blow through the end of the story and just go, just hold on a second. Why isn't the good guy getting all the good stuff? I mean, that's the way it's supposed to work, isn't it? The Bible says God was with him. Have you ever been there? I mean, your life is just falling, around, uh, falling apart around you, and you have a conversation that kind of goes like this. Hey, God, what's up? Like, what's happening? Why is all of this bad stuff happening to me? I'm trying to be faithful. I'm trying to be the good guy. And yet, all of this stuff just keeps on falling apart around me. And you keep saying you're with me, but it doesn't feel like that. I know, I'm the only one that's ever felt that way. Okay. Bible continues. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he, of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian. Don't miss that. Because of Joseph. And the blessing of the Lord was on everything that Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. I mean, let's just not blow through this section easy. I mean, it, 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 first of all, it says, Potiphar noticed something in Joseph. Let me tell you what I think Potiphar saw in this 17-year-old kid. I think he saw a young man that was absolutely convinced and absolutely confident that no matter what happened in his life, whether it was good or bad, that God was with him. I believe that that's what kind of lit up Potiphar's eyes. He's like, there's something different about this Hebrew kid. Here's a simple truth for all of us, okay? When we live confidently with the knowledge that God is with us, people notice. They just notice. Okay, in case you missed it, in 2012, the world ended twice, okay? Just in case you missed it, all right? You might have missed it, you know. And in the course of those times, when people were having all these crazy conversations, I had an opportunity to sit down with people and they would be asking about, you know, the Mayan calendar and, and, and the whole thing about, you know, is God coming back on, in May, you know, that particular day in May that we've all forgotten about already. And eventually, the conversation would go full circle and it would always come back to this question. They would say, Grant, aren't you scared? 
And my answer was always, no. And like, why aren't you scared? Let me tell you why I am not scared. I'm not scared because I'm confident of the fact that I know God is with me. And I believe that he's in control of everything and that the world is going to end when he says it's going to end. And when it does, I'm going to be excited because I've got a promise that says if I know Jesus, that at the end of the world or at the end of my life, it doesn't really matter, that when Jesus comes back, I'm going to get an upgrade to a place that God's been preparing for a couple of thousand years. And I don't know about you, but I can't wait. And that's nothing to be afraid of because I know this one thing to be true. God is with and my prayer is that he's with you, too. And Potiphar saw something in Joseph that's just like, this kid's different. I believe it's because Joseph was absolutely confident. God was with him. Now, this is crazy stuff, because my friend who read this chapter with me, he got mad at this section, too. Because do you notice who, it says, gets the blessing of God? Potiphar. It says, and the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. Okay, if, if this was me at this point, I, this is what I would have been saying under my breath. I would have been saying, you know what, God? You have not done much for me lately. Like, I'm a slave. I'm on my own. I'm without my family. And while I deeply appreciate that you're taking of my need, care of my needs through Potiphar, I was just wondering. I was wondering, because I'm the one that's doing all the spiritual heavy lifting in believing that you're actually with me in this, even though it appears on the outside like you're anything but here. I was wondering if you could do me a favor. Instead of blessing him because of me, would you mind blessing me because of me? Have you ever been there? Have you ever had that moment where it's just kind of like, God, I just don't get it. I mean, I'm being the faithful guy over here. I'm doing the right things. I'm going to church. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. I'm tithing. I'm doing all this stuff. But my neighbor who doesn't seem to know Jesus from Howard Stern. He's got a nicer house than I do. He's got a better car than I do. He seems to have a happier marriage than I do. I don't understand that piece, but God, would, what is up with that? Why are you blessing the Egyptian when one of your chosen people is suffering as a slave? you ever wondered how that works? Have you ever had the courage to say, God, sometimes it just doesn't seem that fair for the good guys? Anybody else? Nobody's going to cop to it, are you? Yeah. Let's keep on rolling because we're not going to find answers for a little bit here. Verse 6 says this, now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. Hello. That's interesting. Not very subtle, right? Okay. I mean, it's just crazy. Potiphar noticed the presence of God in Joseph. Apparently, Mrs. Potiphar noticed something else. Okay? All right? And into the story comes this thing called temptation. Okay? Here's another truth. Temptation is common for all of us. Okay? Joseph faced temptation. Jesus faced temptation when the enemy of our souls came and tried to tempt him out in the wilderness. We all face temptation. You're going to face it this week. The temptation to lie is going to be right in front of you. 
The temptation to steal credit on an idea that somebody else proposed at work. The temptation to pirate software. The, the, the temptation to overshare. The temptation to, to just jump in on the office gossip because everybody else is talking about it. The temptation to turn a blind eye to an obvious need. The, the temptation in the next couple of weeks to just change the numbers on the tax form just a little. Because after all, the government gets too much anyway, right? The temptation to hack into our neighbor's Wi-Fi because they weren't smart enough to put a password on it. The, you know, yeah, I'm going to use that one tomorrow morning for sure. The temptation to borrow a friend's homework, the, you know, the temptation to borrow a few office supplies because the boss is never going to miss it anyway, the, the temptation to have a secret relationship with an old flame on Facebook, the temptation to share playlists even though we haven't paid for them. And the list goes on and on and on and on. We all face temptation. That's what Scripture is. Scripture says it's common to all of us. And how we handle it reveals our real character. Joseph's character is being refined. I mean, when we first met him, he was an arrogant, immature, unwise kid. But now all of a sudden, he's beginning to develop some character. We're going to see this start to surface. And I just want you to listen to his response while not forgetting that he is our hormonally changed teenager with both means and opportunity to get in a situation that he should not be in. This is what it says, verse 8. But he refused. I love that. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has held, has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. <laughs> you think? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. I love those powerful two words. Joseph refused. The temptation was right there, but he refused because something inside of his heart bore witness to the fact that it simply wasn't right. Don't forget this. There is no church yet. There's no Bible yet in history. The exodus hasn't even happened yet. Joseph's flying on his own. He doesn't even have an accountability group. And yet something deep inside of his soul says, I know that that is right and that is wrong and I choose right. Because God's with me. The temptation was right there, but he refused. Because Joseph knew this. Every sin is to sin against God. Every sin. That's another question that Joseph asks. How then could I do such a wicked thing against God? Has anyone else noticed that sinning is so much easier when you don't involve God at all? Have you noticed that? I mean, if you're just hurting another human being, or you're just hurting yourself, it's just not that big of a deal. But when you bring God into that whole sin equation, everything changes, doesn't it? You know, the truth is this. Every time I sin, I'm sinning against God. And those sins, no matter how small I might like to make them in the little justification game and sin management game that I pay inside, play inside of my own mind, every single one of those sins, no matter how small I want to make them, takes Jesus to the cross where he paid for them with his life. Apparently, every single sin is a really, really, really big deal to our Savior. That little white lie cost Jesus his life too. 
that little slip-up, my little mistake cost Jesus his life. That moment when I thought ill of my brother or my sister, that nailed Jesus to the cross. It doesn't sound small. You know, it would be nice if you could deal with temptation once and then it would just kind of go away. But apparently in this case, temptation tends to be persistent. As the Bible carries on, it says, One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She, meaning Mrs. Potiphar, caught him by the cloak and said, Come to bed with me. Not very subtle. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. I think it's funny, too. It's kind of like, are we allowed to laugh at that, right? I mean, that must have been embarrassing. It's the first streaker in Scripture. There he is, right? Just gone, right? But this is what I love. I love this. Joseph would rather be humiliated than compromised. Let me say that again. Joseph would rather be humiliated than compromised. He would rather be the guy in the room that everybody was laughing at and saying, you Bible-thumping Jesus freak, what's your problem? He would rather be humiliated than people than compromised because no sin was too small. He just got it. I love it. He's a 17-year-old kid. Look at, the, look at the conviction that he's living his life with. Making a decision. I mean, let's just throw this in there because it's so uh, absolutely applicable. Here's another truth. Some temptations you should stand against. Sexual temptation you should always flee. Okay, the Bible says that there's times when you have to stand against the temptation with sheer will and character. Everybody else is compromising. They're going along with the crowd. And you're the one that stands up and says, this is not right. I'm not going with you. Sometimes you've got to stand up and lean in against temptation. But in the context of sexual temptation, God always says the best way to handle it is to run. Not like a coward, but as a person of conviction. Over and over again, it says, flee sexual immorality. Run to save yourself. Leave the situation. Run from the computer. Shut down the inappropriate conversation. Beat a path out of your boyfriend or girlfriend's apartment because if you stay, you know you're going to compromise. The Bible makes it as simple as can be. Put your shoes on and go. And that's what bravery is. All right, so he does the right thing. Here it comes, verse 13. When she saw that he'd left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. And she kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. And she told him this story. That Hebrew slave that you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, a place where the king's prisoners are confined. Boy, that's tough, isn't it? 
Joseph does the right thing, and he still gets killed. He had a sexual encounter waiting in front of him that he could have taken advantage of because he's a man of morals and conviction, because he's a real man. He ends up paying a very high price. It's kind of crazy, right? Joseph doesn't sleep with Mrs. Potiphar, and he still gets punished. And the Bible keeps saying, and God was with him. For those of you who are checking out God and Christianity, you may look at this and go, So why would I want to serve a God that lets his children go to prison for doing the right thing? You know, that is a very valid question. Now, those of you who know the end of the story, you just stay right here in this moment, okay? The only way to reconcile this in our mind is to believe that God somehow has got a bigger plan and that he's up to something as he bends the character of this young man until he bends. Put this in your outline because I think it's worth saying. Sometimes the only reward for making the godly decision is the simple knowledge that you made the godly decision. Sometimes that's all you get away with, you know? Sometimes you stand up at work for the right thing and you still get fired. What you walk out of that situation is the simple knowledge deep down in your heart that you did the right thing and God loves you for it. And sometimes it's not easy. It's easy to skate and make it easier on ourselves. But Joseph does the right thing, and even though he is in prison, this one thing he has deep inside of his soul, I did not sin against my God. And if that means prison, I guess that's what it means. But I'm okay, because I am absolutely convinced that when my life is bad, or when my life is awesome, God's with Here comes the next piece. But while Joseph was there in prison, verse 21, the Lord was with him, and he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Okay, can we just stop there for a second and not be pre-processed Christians for a second? I don't want to find favor in the eyes of a prison warden. I don't want to know a prison warden. How's your relationship with your prison warden? Is it awesome? I don't want to have the presence of God while I'm in prison because I don't want to be in prison. Didn't get an amen. But I know you're thinking it, right? I mean, if I was Joseph at this point, it would be going something like this. God, thanks for being here with me but would you mind going and being with somebody else? I know I'm one of the chosen people. Could you choose somebody else? Here's a creative idea, Jesus. Go hang out with my brothers. Be with them for a little while. Go and visit Mrs. Potiphar. She needs you. She needs you. Just leave me alone because you keep saying you're with me and my life is awful. Have you ever felt that way? Don't lie in church. You do the right thing and you still lose. 
you choose the holy reaction, and you still hurt. You do everything in you to do the right thing, and you're still suffering. And at some point you get to that place where, you know what, God? I'm just going to go and find my own way through this. Because you keep saying you're here, but honestly, I can't see you. I've gotten there. You know, God, I did all the right things. Here's my checklist. It just didn't feel like you showed up. So I'm going to find my own way through this now. I think so many of us here at Christ the King are right there, right now. It got really, really hard. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to move Jesus over here to the side, and I'll keep doing the things that I know I'm supposed to do. I'll go to church. I'll read my Bible. But when it comes down to being absolutely convinced that God is with me, and I'm, I'm going to interpret my own circumstances instead of hold on to the promises of God that He gave me. Listen to the story wrap up, verse 22. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. Wow, goody for him. He's in charge of the criminals. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. There's no small job, right? The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. How's Joseph handling things? I mean, I have a scratchy throat, and I'm whining and complaining, Jesus, you're taking my my voice away. I'm supposed to preach for you. Life is so hard. I just want a halt and a cup of tea. Somebody tuck me in, please. Life is just so brutal. How's Jesus handling this? We are so... We're such lightweights when it comes to this. And I think I know. The Bible says Joseph is actually flourishing under all of this pressure for one reason. Because he's absolutely confident of one thing. Whether he's refining his management skills with criminals or managing in a corner office on the top floor of the tallest tower in Bellingham. Whether he's absolutely so sick that he can't even lift his head, or whether he's just the picture of health. Whether everything in his family is going just so wonderfully and perfectly, or or he's just in in that rift with his brothers and, and wondering why isn't his dad coming after him because he had no idea what his brothers were up to. No, he was confident that no matter what extreme he happened to be on, this is what was sustaining this young man and will sustain you and me if we're willing to believe that God is not a liar. That we're willing to believe that when he said, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, even when he said, be still and know that I am God, I will never leave you or forsake you, that we could be absolutely confident of just this one simple truth, that God is We're back to the question, right? How would my life be different if I was absolutely convinced that in every moment, no matter how good or how bad, God is with me? 
How would I react differently if, if my life was actually a little bit better than his? But I still share his conviction, no matter what, that God was absolutely with me. Even if I had the worst week of my life, but I'd still be absolutely convinced. The one thing that was going to get me through was the simple fact that God was with me, or whether he actually allowed me to go to prison and suffer for doing the right thing. Would I still be the one standing up in prison saying, this one thing I know? Even he was Last week we found Joseph in a pit. If you look back through Genesis 37, you find the heartbreaking story of him, him being sold, and then you skip over 38 unless you're like a little twisted, and then you hit 39. And, and you find Joseph in a prison and we start seeing all of the parallels. We see Joseph being falsely accused. And last week we saw in the story that if you needed to find Jesus in the story, you actually needed in to look inside of the pit because God was willing to actually allow His Son to go into the pit of despair. He was in absolute despair, Scripture tells us, because He was a holy and perfect God taking on all of our sin in its entirety. He was wrapping Himself in that coat of many colors wrapping himself in the worst stuff that we'd ever done and then being crucified on a cross so we didn't actually have to deal with our own sin because he was going to deal with it for us. This week we see Joseph in prison. He's at the absolute lowest place that a human being can be and we discover it keeps saying over and over again and God was with him and God was with him and God was with him and we see this picture of Jesus entering into the prison of the eternity of sin and breaking the chains of the prisoners so that he could set them free and the Bible keeps saying God God is there, God is there, God is there, and we see a false accusation and we think, I know that that's part of Jesus' story when he was accused of something that he said that was actually true. He was the bread of life. He was living water. He was the emancipator who would come and break the chains of sin once and for all. And he still continues to say, even though this was thousands of years ago to each one of us, it doesn't matter how low you are or how high you are. The one thing that binds you together is this one simple thought. And it sustained Joseph through everything. And it can sustain you through the same thing. And that's the glorious, wonderful, beautiful knowledge that no matter where we are, God is there. Have you ever met somebody that's absolutely convinced that God's there? It's the person who hears the words, you've got cancer, and spiritually they get stronger. It's the kid who's told you're an outcast and you don't belong and yet they stand tall for Jesus on their middle school or high school campus because they're absolutely convinced that God is with them. It's the businessman or woman who through no fault of their own loses their company. Maybe even because they did the right thing and yet they walk out of the room with their head held high because they're absolutely convinced that God was with them. That's enough. My 
question to my brothers and sisters in Christ the King is, do you absolutely know in the bottom of your gut that these words are true? And lo, I am with you even to the end of the world. I I wish I could tell you it's going to get all better from here. It's not. Joseph's going to get forgotten for a really, really, really long time. But yet he's going to continue to believe that God is with him. Either he's nuts or God is actually there. Come back next week and we'll find out where we find Jesus in the story of the Bible. Let's pray together. Lord, I know that every person in this room right now could list off four or five scenarios in which they have a decision to make. I know that nobody's immune from it, Lord. I know this is their decision. Am I going to determine God's presence based on the circumstance I find myself in, or am I going to determine the presence of God because He gave me a promise and I know He told me the truth? Lord, I pray for every person in this room, no matter what they're facing, whether it's a bankruptcy or a promotion, whether it's a miscarriage or a pregnancy, whether it's perfect physical health or cancer, whether it's a normal Monday or a Monday with some bumps in it, I pray that the one abiding conviction that will carry them through will be that they are absolutely confident that God is with them. Lord, I pray for anyone that's here that is not confident of God's presence because they've never invited Him to be Lord and Savior of their life. And Lord, I pray right now that they would bow their head, confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus was who He said He was, that He was the Son of God, that He came and died on a cross to save us from our sin, that He died and was raised three days later and triumphed over death once and for all so that we could be delivered and saved from sin completely. And Lord, I pray that with that simple confession, I pray that they would know the beautiful presence of Christ today. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you're in every single story. I thank you for sitting alongside of Joseph in the hole, in the midst of temptation, in the prison. And I thank you that it was your presence that sustained him. Father, may we experience your presence in this room, in the office, in the classroom, at home alone, in our car. Holy Spirit, we invite your presence to speak to us and to give us conviction. You're with us, Father. May that be our story next week. 
pray these things in the precious and holy name of Jesus, the God who is there. And all God's people said,